you are here with us for the first time today, or you haven't been with us for the last few weeks, we have been making our way through um, Galatians chapter 5. We've been following a theme that we've called the, the fruit of the Spirit. And in Galatians chapter 5, Paul is um, showing these early believers that have now come to faith in Jesus that the way they are meant to live is quite different from what they may have expected. And what had happened is there were some very religious people who uh, were trying to impose on them some unhealthy and, if I can call it, unhelpful ways of living the Christian life. It was one of the, the life lessons that I personally had to learn after coming to faith in Jesus, that the way that I was supposed to live as a Christian was radically different to the way that I thought it all worked. I want to say, just say that again. When I came to faith in Jesus, what I later discovered was radically different to what I initially thought was the way that it was meant to work as a believer. What I mean, what I mean is this. After making that, for me, which was a big decision in my life, um, um, it, it, coming to be a follower of Jesus, I had to learn that this, this new life was lived not by obeying a new set of rules. It was not going to be lived and not meant to be lived by trying harder to do what God had told me to do. What I discovered is that no one thought to tell me that the Christian life is supposed to be lived by relying on the Spirit. And nobody told me that. Not, to, not by trying to live up to God's standards in, in my own strength. And I discovered the only way that I could ever be a loving person was by relying on the Spirit, not because somebody told me to be a loving person. The only way that I could ever enjoy the joy of the Lord in my life was by relying on the Spirit. The only way that I, I could ever experience God's peace was by relying on the Spirit. Uh, how many of you have heard a sermon before on love? Okay, fair majority of you. I wonder how many of you discovered that hearing a sermon on love didn't make you particularly more loving. You see, having instruction on being a more loving person is not what makes you a more loving person. What makes you a loving person is when you start, and when I start to rely on what God's Spirit is doing in our lives. For example... You might, uh, you might hear a message on, on loving your neighbor. And then you finally sort of ask yourself the question, well, who's my neighbor? And then you hear another sermon on the Good Samaritan, and you discover, well, uh, that sermon tells you about people around you, and, and, and you're meant to be a, a neighbor to the people around about you, and, and you're meant to show love in, in some unusual ways to those people. And then you come home and you say, but I don't even like my neighbor. And now you're telling me I need to love my neighbor. And so, so what we do, I want you to note this, what we do is we tolerate our neighbor 
or we're kind of nice to our neighbor because we don't really like our neighbor. We don't do what the Bible says, and what we do is we accept that as the new norm of what it means to love our neighbor. Now, Jesus never said that. But when it doesn't work, what we do is we reshape it and we make that new reshaped thing the norm in our lives. And what Paul wanted these Galatian believers to realize is that the Christian life is lived by the Spirit, which is very, very different to what some very religious people were saying to them. So let's, let's look at what he said. So I say, live by the Spirit. Connect church. May I say to you, on the good authority of God's word, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. And he goes on to explain why. He says, for the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in fact in conflict with one another so that you do not do what you want. You see, when you try and do this by obeying the law or a set of rules, or you try and do it in your own strength, you find out you do not do what you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. By the way, he's writing to believers here. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And the point that Paul is making over here, because a person is a follower of Jesus, does not exempt you from temptation. Have you discovered that? That just because you're a follower of Jesus, you're not exempt from temptation, from those inner desires that try to influence these things. Those inner desires that influence our thought life. I wonder how many of you struggle with issues in your thought life. There is an influence over our desires and what we desire, our attitudes, our behavior. And Paul calls that, that inner influence that's taking place, the desires of the sinful nature. And I don't know if it's strange to you to think that even after a person has turned to Jesus, even after they've discovered what it means to be in a relationship with him, they still have to deal with things like sexual temptation. They still have to deal with things like the temptation to be involved in pornography and alcohol and drug abuse. Right down to, you might say, well, I'm not in that category, I'm safe. I'm not into sexual temptation and drug abuse and, and all of that kind of thing. What about things like jealousy, fits of rage, and idolatry and witchcraft? The reality is that as Christians, we need to realize that we've got a capacity to disobey God and to do things that we're not always proud of. 
And there is a reason why there are times when we still disobey God, whether it's in your thought life, whether it's in your actions, whether it's in your attitude, all of those different areas. And there are three reasons for that. One is that all of us have got a sinful nature, which means we've all got a capacity to sin and disobey God, every single one of us. I don't know if you've, if it's ever, you've ever taken note of the fact that uh, Adam and Eve, who had never ever sinned in their life before, still had the capacity to sin. Isn't that interesting? You might think, well, you know, if I, maybe if I was in this kind of situation where I've never sinned before, it would be different. No, it wouldn't. That's what Genesis tells us, that when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and, and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it, and then she gave some to her husband, and he also ate it. Have you ever asked yourself a question, why do people who never sinned in their life before still do things like that? As much as people have the capacity to do good because they're created in the image of God, they also have the capacity to disobey God as well. So it's one of the reasons. Another reason is, is that there are spiritual forces at work in the world trying to trap and deceive people who follow Jesus. Between North and South Korea, there's an area called the demilitarized zone. I want to say to you, there's no demilitarized zone for Christians. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. And there are unseen forces at work that are attempting to influence every one of you sitting in this building this morning. I have to say to you that for many years I didn't take this very seriously. And there were things that were happening in my life and happening around about me that were not circumstantial. They were the work of the enemy. That's why Peter says to believers, I want you to be alert to the fact that there's a spiritual battle going on. Be self-controlled and alert for your enemy. And then there's a third thing, third reason. And that's the influence of the world we live in. So there's our sinful nature, there's the enemy, and then there's the, the real world that we live in. And the influences of the world we live in. And I want to say right up front, not everything in the world is evil. And not everything is bad. But may I also say lots of it is. There's the moral decline that's happening. There's the, the, the sort of over-tolerant attitudes that are emerging, unacceptable practices. And we're not immune to any of these things. And so that's why the Apostle John says to us, do not love this world and the things that are in this world. He's not talking about the good things. He's talking about those things that will draw us away. And these are all factors that contribute to this inner battle that's going on within us and that we need to be alert to all the time. And God's provision for this is the Holy Spirit. The only way to live that you are now Christian is by 
the Holy Spirit. What struck me about this passage and what Paul is saying over here, that living by the Spirit is very different to the way we've done things in the past. In fact, it's only when we start to live by the Spirit that we really start to discover the difference between the old life and the new life. Live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. That's quite a powerful statement to make to ordinary human beings like you and me. And you see, fundamentally, there are two different approaches you can have to the Christian life. The first one, Paul says, is living by the law, which he also says doesn't work. That's, that's what he, he, he tells us and what he's saying in, in Galatians chapter 5. And the reason living by a set of laws and rules doesn't work is that whenever somebody sins, they open themselves up to the influence of evil forces that we have been talking about. Something that I never really appreciated. And I'm not talking about when I have one of those days where you have a bit of a slip-up. And we all have them. What I'm talking about is when we get drawn into sin in our lives. That when that happens, we are opening up our lives to the enemy all over again. So in Acts chapter 5, we've got the account of Ananias and Sapphira. They are a married couple. They, they determine in their hearts they're going to give some money to the church. They sell a property. And there's no problem selling property. There's no problem giving money to the church. There's no problem in keeping off of that money for yourself. But when you decide that you're going to be deceptive about what you're doing, there is a very real problem there. And so when Peter comes face to face with Ananias, this is the question he asks him. He didn't say to him, why are you lying? He says to him, why have you allowed Satan to sow into your heart? Isn't a very interesting question? You know, I would have said to him, if it was me and Peter and John here, and I would have said, hey Peter, why are you, why are you being deceptive? Peter says to Ananias, he says to him, why have you allowed Satan to so enter your heart? He's saying something. He's saying the reason you're doing what you're doing is because the enemy has a foothold in your life. That's why. This is very important for us to grasp. I think believers would be a lot more cautious about the way they lived if they realized this. In Ephesians 4, let's nail this down a little bit more. In Ephesians 4. It says, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood, get rid of the stuff, and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are members of one body. In your anger, do not sin, and do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. In other words, he's saying, unresolved anger, where we do not deal with stuff in our lives, what does it do? It gives the enemy, and it's not saying you're demon-possessed. What he is saying is you're giving the devil a place in which he can manipulate you. And he can manipulate me. And that's why Paul says, well, are you so foolish after beginning with the Spirit? Are you now trying to attain your goal by human efforts? 
You don't live by human effort. You live by the Spirit. The other approach to the Christian life is the one that we've been talking about. And it's the one we called living by the Spirit. Live by the Spirit and you'll not gratify the desires of, a, of the sinful nature. Now, I want us just to backtrack for a second. You see, when a person comes to faith in Jesus, the power of sin and the foothold these unseen forces had in our lives is broken. Maybe I should say that again. When you come to faith in Jesus, when you come to the cross, the power that sin exerted in our lives, the stronghold that the enemy had in our lives is broken. That's huge. Look at Romans 6, just for a second. Thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you, you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin. doesn't mean you, you don't have the capacity to sin anymore. He said you've been set free from sin. And in Colossians 2, Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle over them, triumphing over them by the cross. That means this. Number one, sin had a hold on your life and my life. There was a bondage there. But not only to sin, but also to the enemy, to Satan. And he said at the cross, those things got broken. When Jesus died, he gave us the one thing that could set us free from the power of sin. And the control that the enemy had over our lives. And that's why Paul starts Galatians 5 and he says it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. In other words, when we come to Christ, we are able to be free. And we're able to be free from all the things that we've been speaking about. Now here's the big issue. If we got set free at the cross... If the power that sin had over our lives has been broken, if the power of the enemy that the enemy had over our lives has been broken, then where does the Spirit come in? Here's where the Spirit comes in. The Spirit enables us to stay free. You see, that's where your freedom started. But we want to continue in freedom, and we continue in freedom by the power of God's Spirit. Now, this phrase, to live by the Spirit, often baffles people because they don't really understand what it means. I mean, we, we know the phrase, but if I had to ask you this morning, could you please explain to me how that works? Because you're putting it into practice in your life on a daily basis. Would you be able to verbalize it? You see, living by the Spirit means... We trust in the power of God and not in our own abilities. There's a brilliant scripture in Ephesians chapter 3. It's about verse 20 and 21 thereabouts. It says, He is able to do far beyond that which you can even ask or imagine according to His power. 
at work in you. Now, what does that mean? That means when I am struggling with something in my life, trying harder will not give me victory. There is a place I need to go to God and say one or two things. Number one, God, I own this. This is me. This is what's happening in my life. Sometimes it's going to be about a behavioral issue. Other times, probably more often than not, it's going to be an attitude or it's going to be something going down in your thought life. And we come to God and we say, Lord, I've been trying really hard. I know what the Bible says and I know what I'm supposed to be like, but I'm not getting there. And he says, bring it to me and let me deal with it. And here's the first thing. We need to ask God to set us free. Secondly, we need to believe that the power of sin and the control of Satan has already been broken. Here's what happens to many people. They struggle with an issue and they fail and they fail and they fail. You know what happens? They're convinced that God didn't have a victory. If you believe that the power of sin and the power of the enemy in your life has not been broken, you'll live like that. You will live like as though that had never happened at the cross. And we can obey God because we know that we are no longer prisoners of our past. That's what it means when we talk about living by the Spirit. And living by the Spirit enables us to do something about those struggles that we face and those temptations that we face for a number of reasons. Do you know that the Holy Spirit is at work within you? Isn't that awesome? Now the Holy Spirit is very gentle and very powerful at the same time. See, you know and I know when there are things going down that are not great, that something inside of us starts to worry us. And trust me, that's not you. That's the Spirit. That's the stirring of the Spirit in your heart. And God's saying, hey John, are you alert to... And here's something very important. Sometimes you actually think it's okay, but he tells you it's not. I remember watching a a program or a movie or whatever on TV one day, and I just had this incredible sense. God was saying to me, there's something spiritually wrong over here. You can't subject yourself to that. Now, if you'd asked me to reason that out at face value, it seemed fun. There's nothing wrong with the movie. It was a nice storyline and all of those kinds of things. But God was saying to me, John, there's something more happening here that you can't see. That's why Paul says uh, to the Philippian church, for God is at work both within you both to will and to act. If I can say this to you today, pay a lot more attention to that quiet voice. Because he sees the unseen when you don't. And he's alerting you to things you don't even know about. And you see, God's goal in working in your heart by the Spirit is so that you and I can stay free of the stuff that's wanting to trap us.
the Holy Spirit's at work. There's the ongoing provision of the cross. Sometimes you're going to blow it and sometimes I am too. What do you do with that? Do you live in the defeat of that? Or do you deal with it at the cross? See, what's so great about God, He's made provision. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9. If you confess your sins, God is faithful and He will forgive you your sins. And not only forgive you your sins, He'll purify you of all unrighteousness. Friends, you can go back there and discover there's still a place of freedom at the cross. Then, and this, this is one many Christians are not familiar with. Do you know that we have authority over the enemy? If you have a chance and do it when you get home, the last two verses at the end of chapter 1 of Ephesians says that God has placed Christ above all things, whether in the heavens, on the earth, or under the earth. He is above all things. He has authority over all things. And then go to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 6, and it says, and you and I are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Do you know that because He has authority, we have authority? Because we are positionally in Christ, and Christ is above all things, we have authority because He has authority. That's why the disciples moved about. That's why early believers moved about. That's why modern day believers move about, and they know they have authority over the enemy, because in Christ we do. Friends, when we're facing something of the enemy, we are not defeated. We are seated in a position of authority in Christ. And you need to be able to pray with authority because we have the authority. And then we can ask God for the Spirit's enabling. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18 says, Do not get drunk with wine which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now a lot of people... You have seen this analogy, and let me show it to you. Here's a glass. It's about a third full at the moment. Now, but less. And people say, well, if you want to be filled with the Spirit, what you need is you need to be topped up with the Spirit until the glass is full. That's kind of the analogy that's used. Do you know that's not what Paul meant at all? It had nothing to do with glasses being full of water. Being filled with the Spirit is this. It's coming, it's placing something under the control of the Spirit. Very different. Now, let me just walk this through with you. Say there's an issue that I'm struggling with. Say there's an issue that I'm facing. Say there's a thought process that's going on in my life and I'm aware of the fact that's not of the Lord. What's the number one thing you do? You own it. I want to say to you, one of the most spiritual things you can do on the planet is to own your stuff. It's to say, God, this is me and I'm full of hatred. I hate Graham. Now, Graham, I don't hate you, but... Say, Graham's done something to me, said something about me. I discover something that's going on behind the scenes. And I start to find out what's happening in my heart. As I'm starting to become bitter towards him. I'm starting to become angry towards him. I'm starting to become even vindictive towards him. I just like, God, I wish you'd deal with him, do something. 
By the way, I know vengeance is mine, says the Lord, but you don't pray for him to take vengeance. So that starts to surface in my heart. And then I start to like, I know that's not particularly godly. Now, none of you know about it because it's inside of me. I'm still looking very spiritual on the outside. But we all know it's cooking on the inside of us. And so I come, I come and the very first thing I'm to do, if I'm going to be living by the Spirit, is this. Own it. God, this is me. I don't like Graham. In fact, I'm angry with Graham. In fact, Lord, there's a few things I'd like to do to Graham. <laughs> You'd laugh. I mean that very seriously. That's number one. We confess it. Sorry, we own it. Number two is confess it. Because when you confess something to God, God made you a promise. I'll forgive you and I'll clean you up. That is not me trying harder. That's me trusting God more. That makes sense to you? Bring it to Him. Confess it and receive the promise in the Word. And the third thing, and this is something many people are unaware of. Take authority over the enemy and what he's been doing. You see, because wherever there's sin, you'll find there's the enemy around. And sometimes, because it's a spiritual attack and it's spiritual in nature, we need to say, Lord, because I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places and Christ has authority over all things, I need to say, and I take authority over this thing now. Jesus said to Peter one day, Get behind me, Satan. And he wasn't talking to Peter. There are times when you and I need to say that as well. Get behind me. And then we need to say, God, I bring this under the authority and control of the Spirit. And you need to say that. And you need to pray that. And you need to say, God, I'm, I'm bringing my attitude to Graham, I'm, towards Graham and the way that I feel about I'm bringing this under your power and your control. And Paul reminds us that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in you. And God, you know what I've discovered? I can try really hard not to feel that way about Graham, and I'll have some success, by the way. But I won't really deal with what's going on deep down. There's a root. You know what deals with the root? The Spirit. Because God brings healing and freedom into my life. There's a f spiritual freedom that comes from the Lord. And you know, say three days later, I've done all this stuff, and three days later, something starts cooking here. And I start feeling about Graham. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to own it. I'm going to confess it. I'm going to take authority over the enemy. And I'm going to bring it into submission before the Lord because he said, I meant you to be free. And I'm not planning to give back to the enemy and give back to uh, the, the strong man what God has set me free from. Why? Live by the Spirit. You won't gratify the desires of the sinful nature. And I'm done.
So what what I'd like to do just as we close, just a sense that maybe God has been alerting you to the fact that there is actually freedom in Christ beyond what you thought. I don't know what happens in your life. I just know what happens in mine. And I can say to you as your pastor today, I go through all of this stuff. I'm telling you quite openly. Because sometimes you think pastors have got this sort of, I don't know, higher ground or something like that. You've got no higher ground. I'm a human being like you. I face this stuff. What I can say to you is this works. This actually works. The day that I discovered what it meant to live by the Spirit was the day I started living my freedom as never before. Because what used to happen is I'd fail and then I'd live in defeat and I'd feel condemned and a failure as a Christian. And then after, you know, say, say time heals things, after a while you forget about it and you kind of move on. No, no, no. No, forget about it. Let's deal with it. Let's live in freedom. Because Christ came to set us free from the power that the law had over us. That we could be free from that. So here's the thing we're going to do as we close. There might be right now, there might be stuff that you've been struggling with in your life. And we're going to actually do an, a very practical exercise. Now, obviously, I'm not going to get you on the stage or to you know, ask you to say something about that. That would be, uh, that's not going to go down well. Um, so, but, but what we do want to do is allow God to work amongst us here this morning. So why don't you stand? Holy Spirit, just make us aware of stuff this morning that um, maybe, Lord, we've been oblivious to, that we've suppressed for a long time, Lord, that we haven't dealt with, that we never felt we could deal with. I pray, make us all aware of that today. Lord, we want to get rid of this stuff. We don't want to live in it. We don't want it to bog us down. We don't want, us, we don't want it, Lord, to hold us in bondage, not for another second. When, Lord, you've come that we can be free and free indeed. You've given us the Spirit, Lord, so we can continue in freedom. And there will be things today, knowing the Lord, that He'll put His finger on. And He's not doing that so that you can be crushed or broken, so that you can have a new level of guilt in your life. He's doing it so that you can be free. Understand the Spirit always alerts you to things that will enable you to be free from them. Never to bring you into bondage. That's not the kingdom. The kingdom never brings you into any bondage. And so there's something that God's laying on your heart this morning. I'm going to ask you to first of all own it. Just say in your own heart, I own this. This is me, God. This is what's going down here. Whether it's Something sexual to jealousy or fits of rage or whatever it is. Bring it to God and say, Lord, that's me today. I'm going to own it fully. I'm not going to hide away, not pretend it's not me. I'm going to take responsibility over it. And then I want you to confess that to God. And say, Lord, I'm confessing this to you. I'm bringing this to you. I want to ask you, Lord, to not only forgive me, I want to ask you, Father, 
that you will cleanse me completely. I don't want anything left behind. And then remembering that you have authority in Christ, say, Lord, I take authority over the works of the enemy. If there's a specific spirit you want to name, it can be a spirit of jealousy, it can be a spirit of religiousness. Say, Lord, I take authority over that in Jesus' name. And then, Lord, I submit to you and bring under the control of the Spirit that part of my life. And then say, Lord, now will you by your Spirit enable me by your power at work in me, will you enable me to walk in this freedom? Lord, I don't want to go another day in bondage. don't want to go another day with these things holding me back and holding on to me. Lord, I break this power in Jesus' name. And say, release me in Jesus' name. And I say to you all as God's people this morning, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Do not come back under the law, but come under the power of the Spirit and rely on the power of the Spirit and walk in freedom. In Jesus' name, amen. There's one last thing I need to say. Sit down for one second. I promise I won't keep you long. Just one thing I remembered I didn't say. At the cross, there's freedom immediately but the transformation of your life takes longer okay so when we come to the cross when we come to jesus freedom is immediate but transformation takes time and here's why it's like a prisoner who's been given a life sentence at polesmore and they've been sitting in prison for 10 years 12 years 15 years however long that is and somebody comes to them and says Today you're free. For 12 years or 15 years, that prisoner has been living in fear. Has been living, having to watch their back. Has had to fight their way through the world. Has had to be angry and violent. And now you release them into the real world. They haven't got a clue how to live out there. Why? Because they've learned another way of living. And often people come to the Lord and they are set free and then they continue to do the same old things. I'll tell you why. It's because all the habits that they've embraced need to be broken. And that's where the body of Christ comes in, where we are able to disciple people, to walk with them, to encourage them and to teach them God's way so that the old behavior is replaced by the new behavior, not because we make them free, Jesus set them free, but because they need to be reshaped and their thinking needs to be renewed. That make sense to you? So I don't want you to hear me saying, okay, people have had a problem with whatever, forever, however long, and then they come to the Lord and it doesn't work. 
Let me tell you, it does work. It works beautifully. But you might just be in that space where you need to relearn some things and get rid of some stuff. God bless you and live by the Spirit.